0: hey guys melissa here before this episode gets started just wanted to let you know we have decided to change things around in this episode we were originally going to release another episode but we just didn't have everything together for it and we didn't feel really good about putting it out there so instead we are going back into the vault back to march 2020 does anybody remember March 2020? There's a chance you might not have listened to this episode because I don't know. You might have been busy with something else during March of 2020. So we wanted to re-release this episode. It's the murder of Larry McNabney, and we actually have an update. And this update is from Patreon uh, back a few months ago, and so we we are going to include that at the end of the episode. So you'll hear the episode. And you will hear the update, which is really wild. Um, We also have our recorded intro from this week and the outro. So those happened in 2022, the year of our Lord. The other part is from March 2020. So if you have any questions, I don't know why I would ask if you had any questions. But if you do, I guess you could email us. Otherwise, just listen to the episode. See you guys next week.
1: guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm wonderful, feeling a little bit older and a little bit wiser. Does that just happen? It just happened. It just happened overnight (laughs) for me. (laughs) I feel like I'm a few years behind on
0: any sort of wisdom my birthdays have brought. They've brought some (laughs) pains in different parts of my body, but good for you. Glad you're feeling wiser.
1: Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, and I'm really excited to be getting into December. It is just truly the most wonderful time of year for me um, and for a lot of people. So I'm really excited now that we're kind of into the holidays. It always comes up fast, but then I'm always like, okay, I'm actually okay with this. I like the month of December.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great one. Speaking of the end of the year and new year, kind of, I think that's kind of where you were going. <laughs> yes, Angie, we have a little bit of an announcement. It's not a big announcement. Nobody read too much into this, but Mandy, we are updating our name in the new year. We are glowing up. We oh <laughs> oh, I like it. So we are going to be no longer moms and murder. We are in our hearts, but we're going to be moms and mysteries. Yay,
1: moms and mysteries.
0: Yes. I like it. I do too. Well, I hope so because that's really our first time speaking it out loud. We're speaking it into existence into yes. the world. Uh, you guys are the first to know, really. Like nobody knows. We've kept it kind of under wraps, but we're super excited about it. We've always done cases. We've we've covered murders, but we've also done kind of mysterious things, and it just seemed like the right direction for us to go in, wouldn't you say?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And honestly, I feel like it's like you said, it's really not even that big of a deal. So nothing to be alarmed about it is kind of like a little bittersweet to say kind of goodbye to the name moms and murder but like you said we're always we're always the moms and always moms and murder in our hearts but yes i am super excited to kind of start off the new year with the new name of moms and mysteries i think that'll be a good thing for everybody going forward you guys are going to get like the same kind of content we've always had uh with just a little bit of a different name
0: Yeah, truly, that's all it is. So we've actually talked about this even with our kids, like hearing my son at three say moms and murder
1: was a little hard. So we thought (laughs)
0: we'd give you moms a break so they don't have to say, are you listening to moms and murder and you feel kind of bad about it? So think of us. It is us doing it for you. This is our yeah. service to you in New Year. You don't you no longer have to be ashamed to listen to us. I right. mean, you should be a little ashamed, but not that much. You don't have to be ashamed to say that you listen yeah, to us. There now. you go. There you go. So January 1st, that will change. If you're subscribed, you won't notice anything. Our logo looks the same. We literally changed the word everything else is the same. So no big deal. We are getting two new hosts. I'm just kidding. It's still us. So if you're okay with (laughs) us, then uh, we'll be ready for January. So Mandy, are you ready to get into this week's story?
1: I am. Okay, so this week's episode, you know, we were off last week, and that was a nice little break for us. But now we're back at it this week. And I'm super excited about this week's episode. I think Uh, A lot of people will really enjoy this story because there's a lot of fascinating elements that kind of go along with it. And that's really something that I think appeals to a lot of true crime lovers. And me in particular, I love the stories that have a lot of things going on with a one particular person where they have a really crazy background or a lot of different details about their life. So that is the case in this week's episode. And so all of the dynamics of the relationships in this story, everything kind of led up to this main event which was the death of a well-known attorney in Reno, Nevada named Larry McNabney. And before we get into the story this week, we're going to tell you a little about Reno in this week's segment of We Googled This City. So while you're home and quarantined, here's some facts you can share with whoever
0: you are socially distancing with. And trust me, after a week, you'll actually love these facts, guys. It's finally Googled The City's time to shine. This is just useless information that you can throw with whoever you're stuck in a hole with. Okay, here we go. Reno is located in Nevada and has a population of around 248,000 as of the 2017 census. Nevada is actually the largest state that produces gold in the U.S. It's only second in the world behind South Africa. And this fact isn't funny, but if you're playing Trivial Pursuit during quarantine, you're welcome. The video for one of my favorite 80s songs, Take Me Home Tonight by Eddie Money, was filmed in Reno. If the song was to be updated to today, it may be named Take Me Anywhere But Home Tonight. (laughs) <laughs> and lastly, Reno is the birthplace to blue jeans. That's right. Back in 1870, somebody asked a tailor by the name of Jacob Davis, which does not sound like a very 1870s name, does it? it sounds like somebody who'd be in your kid's class today. Um, but they asked Jacob Davis if he was able to make a pair of pants that were a little sturdier. Davis took the challenge on and added copper rivets to his design and paired with Levi Strauss to finance his pattern. And that's how we got jeans. So next time you wear your favorite pair of jeans, think of young Jacob. Without him, we wouldn't have jeans. Nor would we have timeless hits like Baby's Got Her Blue Jeans On by Mel McDaniel or Blue Denim by Stevie Nicks. And who could forget the classic apple bottom jeans from my hometown hero, (laughs) (laughs) T-Pain. So Jacob, today and every day, we put on our boots with the fur and thank you from the apple bottom of our hearts. Go ahead, Mandy. (laughs)
1: So when you hear the words personal injury attorney, you probably know the name of at least one in your local area, thanks to the catchy commercials that many of them have. Here in Central Florida, the one that comes to mind first for me is John Morgan and probably is the same case for you, Melissa. Morgan and Morgan for the people. We also have another guy, Dan Newland, who is not quite on john morgan's level but he is still one that i hear about a lot so if you lived in or near reno before 2001 there's a chance that you may have heard the name larry mcnabney before larry was well known in las vegas and the surrounding area for his commercials where he would wear a cowboy hat and he would speak to the camera while riding on a horse and you know pushing his legal services he became known as the marlboro man and he was famous for taking high profile cases Larry's journey to becoming a famous personal injury attorney began on December 19, 1948, when he was born to his parents, Marie and Jim. As a child, he experienced the unimaginable loss of both his brother and his father. His older brother had returned from Vietnam and sadly succumbed to a drug addiction and eventually died of an overdose. Just three months later, Larry's grief stricken father took his own life. In 1966, Larry graduated from Reno High School and went on to attend the University of Nevada, Reno. He obtained a bachelor's degree from the university in 1970. Larry then attended law school at the University of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law, and in 1974, he graduated near the top of his class. Over the next several years, Larry would marry and divorce three times, and he also had three children named Kristen, Tavia, and Joseph. With no problem at all, Larry passed the bar in both California and Nevada and took a job working for the Deputy Public Defender for Washoe County. A few years later, Larry branched out on his own and started a partnership with Ron J. Bath, and the two made a name for themselves representing clients in high-profile criminal cases. Larry was great at his job as a lawyer, thanks to his high-spirited and organized personality and the confidence that he brought to the table. It was said that he commanded the courtroom and that he was a consummate professional. By 1985, Larry's career had risen him to the level of
0: being a special deputy district attorney, and he was a defense attorney in two of Nevada's most infamous cases. The first was the Harvey Casino bombing trial, where Larry was part of the team that represented John Burgess Sr., a man who had gambled all of his money away at a Harvey's Hotel Casino in Lake Tahoe, and decided to plant a, quote-unquote, doomsday bomb in order to get back at the hotel. Once the bomb was planted, John sent a letter to the casino that stated that the bomb could not be moved or disabled, but if they met his demands, he would tell them how to disable it. On August 27th, 1980, John was attempting to disarm the bomb when he accidentally set it off, causing $12 million in damage and forcing the hotel to close its doors for nearly a year. But luckily, no one was injured in this event. The other high-profile case that Larry was a part of was the company drug cartel trial. He and more than 10 other defense attorneys defended the 12 people who ran the interstate drug cartel. This particular cartel, the company, which is... Kind of a lame name for, <laughs> for <laughs> I mean, no disrespect, cartel. But I just think you could have done better. The company used <laughs> violence in their multi-million-dollar operation in which they made and sold methamphetamines and operated a large marijuana plantation in Northern California. The cartel had attempted to kill a U.S. Forest Service employee as well as fired shots at police helicopters and planned the killings of state and federal narcotics agents and witnesses. They had also killed a disloyal member and made attempts to kill two others who had done the company wrong. I take back everything I said about their name. So the trial began in January of 1988 and ended up lasting over 16 months. The trial was so lengthy that there were over 30,000 pages of transcripts and the prosecution presented thousands of exhibits into evidence, including proof of over 2,000 narcotics transactions over an 11 year period. At the time, this was one of the longest federal drug trials in history. And it was really hard on Larry. He told the Los Angeles Times, quote, if I would have known it was going to go this long, I wouldn't have taken the case. I've gotten a divorce during this trial. I've gone through a lot of personal changes. I'm not saying it's directly the result of this trial, but the pressure has sped things up. I think I'm going to quit practicing after this is over. Seriously, maybe I'll play the flute or take a year off and do nothing. If I never set foot into a courtroom again after this, it will be too soon. So he did not enjoy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a rough 16 months. That is so much time to to do anything,
1: anything, any one thing for 16 months. Oh, my goodness. That would be really grueling, I feel like, especially with a, a case like that where it's a cartel and there's like a, a lot of attorneys are involved. And, yeah, 16 months would be a really long time.
0: Yeah. So when the company drug cartel trial finally came to an end in May of 1989 and all 12 defendants were convicted of 65 of the 71 counts against them, Larry made good on his word and he quit practicing law for the next three years.
1: It was 1992 when he opened his first personal injury law office in Reno, and he would eventually go on to open offices in Las Vegas and Elko, Nevada. In 1995, Larry put an ad in the paper for help around the law office, and that's when he met the woman who would change the rest of his life. In July of that year, -year 29-year-old Elisa Barash responded to the Help Wanted ad, and after being incredibly impressed with her interview, Larry hired her on the spot. He really thought that Elisa was nothing short of amazing. He told his daughter, Tavia, that Elisa was brilliant and bright and that she handled things and helped Really take a load off of his shoulders. On top of being extremely intelligent, her IQ was allegedly 140. She also had a very charming and bubbly personality and a friendly smile. Elisa also had a daughter named Haley, but it was unclear from the research in this case when Larry actually learned about the little girl. But at the time that Elisa was hired to the firm, Haley was living somewhere else and not with her mom. But we are going to get more into Haley and where she was in just a little bit. So once Elisa had settled down into her new job at the law firm, it didn't take very long before the relationship between she and Larry went from being a professional one to a personal one. After they kind of learned of their shared interest in wine and horses, the two started dating and those around them could see that they were really happy together, although some of Larry's friends and family did think there was something off about Elisa that they couldn't really put their finger on. They could tell that Larry was really happy, but Larry's daughter felt that Elisa put a wedge between her and her father. And she said that she wasn't allowed to call him anymore or see him whenever she wanted to. But she could tell and she knew that her dad cared for Elisa. So she didn't bring it up or want to start an argument over it or to ruin her dad's, you know, the good the great time that he was having. Larry hadn't always had the best luck with women. As we mentioned earlier, he had already been married and divorced a few times. And one of the reasons that his relationships in the past had failed was partly due to the fact that Larry struggled with alcohol addiction at different points in his life. One friend of Larry's said that from time to time, Larry would disappear on alcohol binges and not show up again for weeks. He said, quote, it was like a void he was trying to fill and he never could fill. Those in Larry's life were really happy that he had found Elisa and that he cared for her so much, and they didn't want to interfere, even though there were what some might call red flags. So for one thing, people noticed that Elisa was never really interested in talking about her past. One of the attorneys that the couple knew was named Tom Mitchell, and he said that it was one of those situations where you would ask Elisa something simple, like where she went to high school, and the next thing you know, she would be talking to you about skiing. But Larry was enamored with Elisa. Within two months of starting her job at the law firm, Larry had already bought Elisa a new red Jaguar. He even bought a stable of horses and the two began riding in competitions and attending horse shows. Of course, Larry already had this previous love of horses as demonstrated in his commercials that he used for his law firm. At some point in late 1995, Elisa decided to bring her daughter Haley to Reno to stay with her and Larry. The couple was doing really well, both in the office and at home until there was a little hiccup in December of 1995. And we're going to get right into what happened after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Have you guys listened to Scamfluencers yet? It's the podcast from Wondery that tells these unbelievable yet true stories behind some of the most infamous scams, swindlers, and con artists in a way that is truly entertaining and informative.
0: Recently, they covered the story of Martin Skreli. If his name doesn't ring a bell, maybe his moniker, Pharma Bro, does. Yeah, that's the one. Martin gained prominence back in 2015 when the pharmaceutical company he owned raised the price of a life-saving drug by 500%.
1: The fallout from this scandal garnered attention from the federal government, and they soon learned that not only was Martin behind these astronomical price hikes, but he had even deeper secrets that he was hiding. Eventually, charges would be filed, but the pharma bro wouldn't go down without a fight.
0: I'm one of those people that has followed this story for years, but I love the way scam influencers tell this story. Although I feel like I knew kind of everything about the story, I actually learned so much from their telling that I immediately subscribed to hear what other scandals they would come up with. Follow Scamfluencers wherever you get your podcast. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Texting is my number one way to communicate. Just ask Mandy. Whether it's a group chat that I've been drugged into or just texting friends and family, there's no denying that some of my biggest laughs during the day come from text messages. So wouldn't it be nice if there was one place to see all of your sweetest and funniest messages from those you love? Now there is, thanks to Keepster.
1: Keepster is the only way to turn your favorite iPhone texts and photos into beautiful keepsake books. Whether it's documenting the beginning of a new relationship or inside jokes with your besties, Keepster is the place to do it. Just download the Keepster app on your computer, choose your favorite texts, photos, emojis, inside jokes, and Keepster will do the rest. It's really that simple.
0: I was going through our family group chat the other day, and I just love seeing these photos of my kids that my in laws are so quick to comment on and, you know, cheer for my daughter for her volleyball pictures. There's all these little moments that live only in my phone keepster sent us a sample book and the quality of it is really amazing plus a book start at just 12.99 so it's really an affordable way to get something fun and personalized for those in your life and i can't wait to get one for my family in our group chat and say you're a procrastinator and you didn't order your best friend a gift until christmas eve Keepsir's got you covered they'll actually give you a digital copy of it while you wait for your physical book to arrive
1: we live and share so much of our lives on our phones Now you can save what's special with Keepster. So if you have an iPhone, head to keepster.co slash moms and put in promo code moms for 25% off. That's keepster.co slash moms and use code moms for 25% off. One last time, keepster.co slash moms for 25% off. And now back to the episode.
0: So before the break, we were starting to get into the relationship dynamic and life that Larry and Elisa McNabney had and how things had been going very well for the new couple up until December of 1995. It was at that time that Larry's law firm was audited and Larry found out that Elisa had embezzled $74,000 from a trust account for one of Larry's clients. This was obviously a huge deal for Larry and for his reputation. He was publicly reprimanded and had to pay back the embezzled money, plus the cost of the disciplinary actions, and he was ordered to take two hours of legal ethics education. At the end of the ordeal, Elisa was no longer allowed to be a signatory on any trust accounts in any of Larry's law offices in Nevada. It seemed like most people would probably consider this a relationship deal-breaker, but that wasn't the case here. The following month, on January 6, 1996, Larry and Elisa got married in Reno, Following the shotgun wedding, the new couple packed up and left for Sacramento, California, where Larry opened a new law firm and the couple resumed their wine and horse hobbies in their new locale. Once the new firm was up and running in California, Larry put an ad in the paper for a position earning $3,000 a month as a part-time legal secretary. Since they were now in California, Elisa could once again be the signatory on trust accounts. That's a lot of faith to give someone who just got you in a lot of trouble. Yeah, right. Like a ton of trouble. You'd think you just say like, there's just no reason for you to be on there. I trust you. But like, you don't have to be on there. I don't need you to sign. Right. these things.
1: Yeah, it does seem weird. Like, especially after there's already been this like huge incident that cost him a lot of money. And yeah, like drug his name through the mud kind of by by letting this happen. So I just think it's right. crazy that, you know, that you would ever give somebody. Probably says a
0: lot about their relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I mean, because it doesn't make any sense otherwise.
0: So soon after the ad for a legal secretary went up, a woman named Sarah Dutra turned up for an interview. Sarah was a young and bubbly woman who had only just graduated high school in 1998. At the time she applied for the job at Larry's law firm, she was studying art at California State University. She loved attending school and wanted to go to graduate school right after she finished her degree. Larry decided to hire Sarah to work at the firm.
1: Despite there being nearly a decade between them, Elisa and Sarah hit it off immediately. Their relationship in the office and at work soon grew into a friendship outside of work, and rather quickly, the two women became inseparable besties. It was around this time that Elisa first started really taking advantage of Larry and the money that he had. She would take Sarah on these expensive shopping sprees and they would buy a lot of matching clothes, mostly Gucci outfits, and they would charge all of this to Larry's card. The women pretty much became attached at the hip and started doing absolutely everything together. And Sarah even started traveling to horse shows that Larry and Elisa would go on, even if they were out of town for the weekend. So as you can imagine, there was some serious tension between Larry and Sarah and neither of them liked each other. And both of them were very vocal about it. But of course, Larry was in a tough position. And he he felt like Sarah had just kind of barged her way right into his life and into his marriage. And he really wanted her out of the picture. But he was scared of what Elise's reaction would be if he were to just fire Sarah. So of course, Sarah didn't like Larry either because she pretty much just perceived him as her, you know, BFFs, annoying husband and just kind of would rather spend her time with Elisa and not have to worry about him. So it got to a point where Sarah and Elisa were literally spending all of their free time with each other. The relationship between them was so intense that many people actually felt like if you were to look at them from the outside, you would think that they were the ones in a relationship with each other. It was clear to the outsiders that Sarah really dominated Elisa in their relationship. And she was behind a lot of the decisions that Elisa made, especially as it pertained to buying things. On September 10th, 2001, Larry and Elisa loaded up their horses and headed to a quarter horse show in Los Angeles for the weekend It just so happened that Elisa's daughter, Haley, was away at a horseback riding school in Maine that month, so it worked perfectly for Elisa and Larry to get away. Sarah actually showed up at the hotel that the couple was staying at, which irritated Larry, although it really was nothing unusual at this point, and he was used to Sarah being the constant third wheel in his marriage. So Larry indulged in alcohol on this trip, even though he had previously given up drinking. And it is believed that an argument ensued between him and Sarah and Elisa. The next morning, September 11th, 2001, as we all know, things were very hectic across the entire country. Word traveled quickly about the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon that killed nearly 3,000 people and injured up to 6,000 more. In the midst of all the chaos, the McNabneys and Sarah Dutra checked out of the hotel and headed back to Sacramento. Life at the office resumed as usual, except for one thing.
0: Larry never returned to work after that weekend in L.A., but it would be several weeks before anyone would catch on that something was wrong. Elisa, with the help of Sarah, ran Larry's law office as if he were still there, negotiating with lawyers and spending settlement money that came in from personal injury clients. She also hired a new employee named Ginger Miller. Having Ginger around to help with the office task would free Elisa and Sarah up to do more gallivanting. When Larry's family and friends started asking where she was, Elisa said that he was really just too sick to see anyone, including his own children. When clients of Larry's started looking for him, Elisa told him that he was making a lot of out-of-town court appearances. At first, no one was really alarmed that Larry wasn't available. After all, he was a really busy attorney, and those who knew him personally also knew about his past drunken vendors and thought that this was really just par for the course for Larry. But after a month with no sign of Larry, his kids started to question Elise's story, and they really started to think that she may have been lying about their father's whereabouts. So they decided to hire a private investigator to help them find their father. Larry's daughter, Tavia, said, quote, what was strange to us was the length of time that she was saying dad was gone, that he was in places he wouldn't have been, end quote. Unfortunately, though, the P.I. was unable to locate Larry. Around this time, Haley returned from horseback riding school. And when she asked where Larry was, Elisa said that she and Larry had separated and that Larry had gone off to join a religious cult, which is a very specific yeah. <laughs> reason. But it's so <laughs> specific that you'd almost think like, OK, you know, it, it uh, that seems so uh, out there in a way but that you just be like what there's no real follow-up questions it's not like i don't know it's one of those lies that's so specific you okay that just makes sense so in the meantime elisa was drastically changing her look between september and late november she dropped 30 pounds lightened her hair to a more blonde color and started dressing as if she were 10 years younger
1: by the end of that year elisa had begun to sell off larry's assets and give away his personal items In total, she had around $500,000 worth of Larry's stuff, and she wasn't using the money to keep the office up and running. She was letting those payments get behind, and eventually she had no choice but to run the firm from home. At the end of November 2001, Ginger Miller, who was the woman that Elisa hired to help in the office, became very suspicious that maybe there was no Larry at all. She had been told by Elisa and Sarah to give several different explanations as to Larry's whereabouts, and she started to think that it was really weird that after working there for a month, she had actually never met the owner. During this time, of course, Ginger noticed a lot of shocking and unethical behavior happening around the office. For instance, Elisa and Sarah were forging Larry's signature on checks and documents and pretending that he were the one to actually sign them. As far as Ginger could tell, none of this added up to anything good, and she decided to secretly go to the police with her suspicions. At first, the police didn't really seem too concerned about Larry's disappearance, and they thought maybe he fled to escape the debt that he was in. But they kept in touch with Ginger and asked her to continue working in the office and keep giving them any information that she might learn. Police eventually called Elisa to discuss where her husband was. And Ginger remembered that this call really freaked Elisa out. And suddenly Elisa announced that she was going to be attending a horse show in Arizona. So she loaded a bunch of her belongings into her horse trailer and she hired somebody to move the trailer to Arizona for her. But unfortunately, Ginger had already tipped off the police about Elisa's plan to leave town and they were waiting for her when she finished loading her trailer. Somehow, Elisa caught on that the police were watching her and she managed to escape before they were able to catch up with her. She took off in her brand new red Jaguar on January 11th, 2002. Later that same day, Larry's son, Joe, reported him missing as well. By the time Larry's son, Joe, had reported his father missing on
0: January 11th, 2002, they were already investigating Larry's wife, Elisa. Police were tipped off that Elisa had plans to leave town and that she had loaded her belongings into a horse trailer that she appeared to be using as a moving truck. When police showed up to move in on Elisa, she fled in her new Jaguar. The first person that police wanted to question once Elisa left town was Sarah Dutra. Sarah really downplayed her relationship with Elisa quite a bit, but she did admit that they had become close friends after she began working at the law office. She told police that Elisa had become more erratic when Larry disappeared and said that she began to miss more work than usual. Sarah also alleged that at some point in early January of 2002, Elisa invited her along to attend this horse show in Arizona since Larry wasn't around to go. Elisa allegedly told Sarah that her ticket was paid for, but when Sarah got to the airport, she learned that she did not have a ticket in her name, and when she tried to call Elisa, her phone was disconnected. Sarah told police she hadn't heard a thing from Elisa since then. The investigators already knew that Sarah and Elisa had a much closer relationship than she was leading on, and they believed that Sarah probably still knew more information than she was giving them, but they had nothing to hold on her, so they let her go. A short time later, on February 5th, 2002, an employee at San Joaquin Vineyard spotted something that would provide a huge break in this case. Sticking up out of the ground near a grapevine was a human leg. It was Larry's body. Detectives and crime scene technicians swarmed in to process the scene and to take Larry's remains in for an autopsy. The initial exam revealed no clues as to how or why Larry had died. There were no external signs of trauma to suggest a cause of death. Another thing that was puzzling was that Larry's body wasn't as decomposed as it should have been if he had been dead since September, which was now over three months before. It was believed that his body had been somehow kept cold all this time and that whoever had buried it at the vineyard had done so recently. Once Larry's body had been discovered, his family held his funeral on February 16, 2002 at Ross Burke and Noble Mortuary in Reno.
1: Further testing from Larry's autopsy later revealed his cause of death. He died of an overdose, but not maybe what you might think of first. He actually overdosed on horse tranquilizers. So now that the police had a body and a cause of death, they focused their efforts on solving Larry's murder. Friends of Larry and Elisa, as well as family of Larry's, told the police that they had concerns and suspicions about Elisa from the beginning, but that they were all unnerved by how she behaved since Larry had been last seen. Elisa had been selling all of Larry's assets, and police agreed that this was suspicious, and they really moved Elisa to the top of their suspect list. The more people that the detectives talked to, the more alarmed they were by what they were hearing. One acquaintance that the couple knew from horse shows named Evan Reese told police that while they were at a horse show in Susanville, California, Elisa casually just asked him if it were possible to kill a person with horse tranquilizers. It wasn't long before an all out manhunt was underway to locate Elisa, but they were stopped in their tracks pretty early on when they realized that there was actually no such person as Elisa McNabney. Police could find no record or driver's license, no social security number, or any trace of anyone by that name ever even existing. Detectives soon stormed Larry's law office, but when they arrived, it was empty and there was no sign of Elisa, but they did still have the horse trailer full of her belongings to search through. Everything inside this trailer was really thrown in haphazardly, but upon searching through it, they located a file that had the name Laren Renee Sims Jordan. When they looked up that name, they discovered a whole treasure trove of information, including a rap sheet that was 113 pages long and included charges of credit card fraud, parole violations and grand theft. Laren had been using the name Elisa as an alias, and it became the main goal to find out who this mysterious woman was and to figure out what, if anything, she had done to Larry. A warrant was issued for Laren's arrest and a $10,000 reward was announced for information leading to her arrest.
0: Police followed Laren's trail and discovered an enormous backstory that had led up to this point in her life. Laren Renee Sims was born on January 20th, 1966 in Attleboro, Massachusetts to parents Jesse and Jackie. Her parents did their best to raise Laren right, but according to her mom, Laren never liked being told what to do and her attitude became harder and harder to control the older she got. Jackie said that Laren had so much to offer, but that she got frustrated very easily. She was raised in Brooksville, Florida, which is directly west of Orlando by about 70 miles. And Brooksville is a very small country town and Laren wanted to branch out and have more experiences. She was extremely intelligent with an IQ of 140, and she was always at the top of her class. But in a really shocking move, right before she was about to graduate high school, she dropped out. Some people thought Laram was extremely attractive, while others thought she was nothing really special, but those who knew her all agreed that she was conniving, clever, intelligent, and able to sweet talk and con anyone. Her own brother said that half of her problem was that she was too good looking and that guys would do really anything for her. As a teenager, Laren was caught writing bad checks and her parents had her evaluated by a psychiatrist. That's when she had her IQ tested. Despite being very smart, Laren had several disciplinary problems throughout high school and she skipped school a lot. Teachers described her as being moody, distant, and stubborn, and classmates remembered her as being outgoing and rebellious. When Laren was just 18 years old, she married her first husband, Virgil Jordan, who fathered Laren's daughter, Haley. The relationship was short-lived, and by the time Laren was 20, the young couple were divorced. After this failed marriage, Laren began stealing and conning people. Her life seemed to really take a turn, and she made one bad decision after another. A few years later, Laren had another child with a man named Kirk. They had a son named Cole, who was born with cerebral palsy. According to Laren's brother, by the late 1980s, Laren had started dating a string of what he called losers. In one of Laren's relationships, the boyfriend talked her into breaking into his ex-wife's house to steal the Christmas presents from under the tree. He convinced her to do it by saying that the gifts actually belonged to him and that he wanted to give them to his kids. Laren ended up getting arrested for grand theft and was charged in another burglary and theft just a few months later. She received probation for these two
1: offenses. So Laren wasn't one to be held down, and she eventually decided to violate her parole and attend a hockey game in Tampa. Unfortunately, her probation officer happened to be at the same game and saw her there. And so she was arrested and spent nine months in jail. But quickly after she was released, she was caught using a stolen credit card and was forced to actually wear an ankle monitor. In early 1993, Laren went on the run. This was the first time that she changed her name to avoid being found. She would eventually use 38 different aliases over her lifetime.
0: If you get that many aliases, do you just turn around anytime anyone says any name? If somebody just says, like, looks in your direction? Can you
1: imagine? I would be so confused. Like, I can't even imagine or fathom changing my name for a non-nefarious reason and then having to, like, remember that name and, like, learn a new identity. Like, imagine if you were in the Witness Protection Program or something and you actually had to get a new identity. It would be so hard I would never remember. Like, I don't understand people who have aliases. It really blows my mind that they can keep it all together and, like, keep track of everything.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you've got to think, like, if I... If I if I do this wrong, if I screw up, then the jig is up. So I guess if you're like threatened with maybe prison time,
1: you could probably (laughs) put your brain cells together to remember it. So while Laren had been on one of her jail stints, she had somehow managed to see the social security number of another inmate named Elizabeth Barash. And the highly intelligent Laren just memorized this person's social security number in jail, which is just mind blowing to me that she could see this person's number And just memorize it like she didn't have anything to write it down with or save it, you know, and she just memorized it and later on decided to take over Elizabeth Barash's identity and was like, Oh, you know what, let me just dig down into my memory. And I know the person I know this person's social security number, just crazy to me that she was able to do that. I wouldn't have even been able to
0: guess how to spell this lady's name, first name or last name, I would have probably gotten wrong. I can't imagine memorizing
1: somebody's (laughs) social So once Laren had decided to take over this identity, she pretty much just left like a thief in the night and she took her daughter Haley with her and Haley was seven years old at the time. She did not take her five-year-old son Cole because of him having cerebral palsy, but she told Haley that they needed to leave because her father was trying to get custody of her. It was March 23rd, 1993, when Laren cut off her ankle monitor and took off with Haley They headed west and found themselves in Las Vegas, where Laren, who was now going by Elisa, rented an apartment and started working as a manager in a chiropractor's office. Although she was going by a new name, Haley continued to go by her real name, which was Haley Jordan. One thing to note about
0: Laren is that she had a knack for blending in with her surroundings and making herself appear to be someone different than who she was, specifically in situations where it would suit her, such as seducing men to take care of her. While living in Vegas, Elisa met Ken Rettelsberger and began a relationship. Ken was very into the outdoors and he loved to camp and fish, and so Elisa pretended to also love these things. She played it off really well, and Ken really believed that they had a lot in common, Their romance blossomed, and Ken eventually asked Elisa and Haley to move in with him. Once Elisa was in, she went through Ken's bills and found a credit card of his. She then stole the card and maxed it out immediately. When Ken got the bill a month later, he asked Elisa to move out, but they got back together very quickly and ended up getting married in 1994.
1: This is just mind blowing to me, because whenever you think about basically this is what happened with Larry when she embezzled the money from his firm. And then a month later, he turned around and married her. And it's just like, how does she get these people to, like, look past these things that she's done, even though their relationships are so new and so fresh and they don't really even know her. And she does, you know, she steals from them. And then a month later, they're like, let's get married. Like, I want to know how she pulled that off so many times in her life. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. But you've got to, once you're caught, I guess you've got to lay
0: it on pretty thick after that. So she's got to pull out all the tricks from her bag after that and really lock it down. But yeah, I don't understand that at all. You'd think they'd get married. She could convince them to marry her quickly. And then she'd commit her crimes. But no, she she was like, I'm going to do this. And then you're going to marry me. So she had a real knack for doing that, apparently. And things got worse after the wedding. Elisa continued to spend all of Ken's money. And after six short months, Ken was ready to throw in the towel. He knew his relationship with Elisa was not healthy and he filed for a divorce, but he let Elisa and Haley keep living there because he felt a responsibility to this little girl. It was the following summer, July of 1995, that Elisa took a job at Larry McNabney's law office. When Elisa and Larry started a romantic relationship, Ken was actually thrilled. He thought that Larry would finally take Elisa off of his hands. And it wasn't long before Lisa did move in with Larry, although her young daughter Haley continued to live with Ken. Elisa morphed herself from this outdoor loving type of girl to acting as a sophisticated legal secretary. She was really able to run Larry's life. She set his appointments and spoke with important people. And in late 1995, Larry and Elisa were going on a trip, but Ken said that he couldn't keep Haley that weekend because he was also going on a trip. Ken put Haley on a plane to Reno so that Elisa could pick her up, but Ken never saw Haley again. Elisa announced that she was going to have Haley live with her and Larry. Elisa only contacted Ken a couple more times, and all in all, she stole around $30,000 from him over the short time she knew him. Ken eventually moved on with his life and put Elisa behind him until the police questioned him after Larry McNabney was found dead and Elisa was a suspect. And we're going to get into what happened next after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I have a cousin who's a decorator. Hi, Lori. If you literally give her five minutes, she can not only tell you what to do with your house, but she could actually build it for you. I do not have the superpower. In fact, we've lived in our house for five years and I still have walls with nothing on them because I just don't know what to do with them. Thankfully for me, canvasprints.com is the answer. Canvasprints.com allows you to create quality canvas prints at truly affordable prices, and it's so easy to use. You literally just upload a photo from the same phone you're listening to us on, and you can create beautiful prints. I had this one set of photo files on Etsy that I bought several months ago, but I really had no idea what to do with it. I just knew it was pretty. I literally uploaded it to canvasprints.com, chose my sizes, and was even able to look at various curated canvas sizes, so
1: I really knew what I was having printed. And it's not too late to get your holiday shopping done with canvasprints.com. You can take a photo of your kid's most embarrassing moments and put it on a mug for their new spouse, or even create a puzzle of the cast of Love is Blind for your fellow podcast host. Hint, hint, Melissa.
0: I hear you, Mandy. But the one thing you can't do is put an unflattering picture of your sister on coasters, because that's sort of my thing.
1: Right now, canvasprints.com has a special offer just for our listeners. Go to canvasprints.com and use code MOMS25 to get 25% off your entire order of canvas prints, canvas wall displays, metal prints, photo tiles, photo blankets and pillows, and much more. Why not start and finish your holiday shopping early with this amazing offer? That's canvasprints.com and use code MOMS25 for 25% off your entire order.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving, and if you were in a room with a bunch of people whose DNA you shared and thought, oh my gosh, I share DNA with these people, then therapy may be the right place for you. And with BetterHelp Therapy, you can get into all of your familial issues and more from the comfort of your own home.
1: BetterHelp is therapy done right. Whether you're dealing with life-changing issues or just everyday life issues, being able to speak through things with a therapist is really invaluable.
0: Not to brag, but I too have family issues. So therapy's been a lifeline for me for years. And BetterHelp makes it so much easier by being able to speak to my therapist from my computer, through calls, or even messaging without ever having to leave my home.
1: As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com moms. That's hel slash moms.
0: With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts,
1: is it even a decision? Get started today. It only takes about five minutes to open an account with Capital One, and there's no minimum to open and keep your account. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about how uh, this man, Ken, who had been dating Elisa before she met Larry, had just put Elisa's daughter, Haley, back on a plane to her, and he never saw her again. Elisa decided that the child was going to live with her and Larry, and that was kind of the end of things between Elisa and this man, Ken, and that was You know, the final tie between them that was cut off. So he didn't hear anything about her again until the police came questioning him regarding Larry McNabney's death. So Ken told investigators that Elise's name was Elizabeth Barash when he first met her. And the police found an address for a woman by that name in West Palm Beach, Florida. However, when they arrived there, they found not the woman they were looking for, but instead they found the real Elizabeth Barash, who had her identity stolen by Laren while they were serving time together, as we said previously. Little did they know, Laren had actually already fled to Destin following Larry's murder, and she was living there waiting tables at an upscale restaurant, as well as doing clerical work at a law office. And she had also changed her name once again to Shane Ivarone. It's so interesting to me when people do aliases. I guess sometimes you actually steal other people's identities, but I wonder if they ever just make up the names. I guess not. I guess you have to have more than just a name. You have to have an actual identity. Maybe, but I I mean,
0: why not have fun with it at some point? You've had so many just... Take a few of your favorite things, put them together um, on 30 Rock. This is not important, but there's a doctor named Dr. Spachemin, which if you spell it out, is Dr. Spaceman. So I always thought one of those things would be kind of fun <laughs> <laughs> to have.
1: So in this time, she also cut her hair and dyed it brown and she dropped from a size 10 to a size three. On the search to find Laren, police visited her parents who said they actually hadn't seen her in 10 years. But the police eventually had a stroke of luck when Laren's boss at the restaurant that she worked at reported that his credit card had been used to pay for a meal after Laren attended a Kid Rock concert with a man named Robert Murphy. So all of this kind of goes together and you'll see how this all leads up to the end of the story. So on March 14th, 2001, Laren's boss from the restaurant went to her other employer, Paul, at the law firm and told him what she had done in regards to stealing his credit card and using it. So the law office then decided, you know, we're just going to check her out. They looked at the Social Security number that Laren gave when she was hired. And to their surprise, this Social Security number came back to a man, which I guess makes sense if she was using the name Shane I guess that could be a yeah
0: a a, guy or it can man. go
1: either way, but yeah, that makes sense that it was that it came back to a man. Uh, so they alerted the police, but Laren caught on that something was up, and she made a quick exit. She told her coworkers that she was going to go to the doctor, but instead, she ended up leaving work and she called Robert Murphy, who was the man that she had just been to the concert with, and asked him to go out on a date with her. And then at the end of the night, she stole his truck and $600 from him, but she left him a note and the keys to her car and said that she would be bringing the truck back in just a few days. On March 15th, police located Laren's red Jaguar, but they were surprised to find Robert behind the wheel. And when he told them that Laren had stolen his truck, they started to look for that vehicle instead. It took a few days, but on March 18th, the truck was spotted abandoned at a Winn-Dixie near the beach. Officers ended up finding Laren sitting on the beach in a chair, and when they approached her, she simply said, I am the one you are looking for. Whoa, that's like uh, Breaking Bad. I'm the one who knocks. Like That's some confidence. Yeah. Well, the police said, you know, they felt like she was tired of running and she was just ready to kind of, you know, surrender. So she was arrested without any trouble and charged with first degree murder, and she would have to be extradited to California, of course, for her trial. Following Laren's arrest, Haley went to live with Laren's parents. So Laren confessed
0: to police that she had, in fact, murdered Larry. She alleged that he had a drinking problem and that he used drugs as well as abused her. And she claimed that when she confided in her new friend, Sarah Dutra, it was Sarah who suggested that she kill Larry. According to Laren, she and Larry had gone to the horse show in Los Angeles on the weekend of September 9th, and Sarah went there to join them. She said that Larry had been using horse tranquilizers for fun that night and that he had passed out. So Sarah suggested that it would be a good time to kill him and that really all they needed to do was give him more tranquilizers and no one would find out. Laren claimed that both of the women took turns squirting the horse tranquilizers into Larry's mouth, but their plan didn't work. Larry didn't die. He woke up on September 10th and actually showed his horse at the horse show and then he went back to bed. Sarah and Laren believed that Larry was dead at this point, but when they tried to move him, they realized he was still alive, but he couldn't walk. The women had to think fast to come up with a solution for what to do with this heavily drugged man, so they decided to rent a wheelchair. On the morning of September 11th, in the midst of the news of the terrorist attacks here in the United States, Sarah and Laren wheeled a nearly unconscious Larry out of the hotel and put him into the back of the truck. And with everything going on, almost no one noticed them or paid any attention. The women decided to drive out to Yosemite to bury Larry, but he still hadn't died at this point, and Laren really started to have second thoughts. She didn't want to bury him alive, so they kept driving and hoped that he would die obviously so terrible that you're just waiting for this person who you loved to die you're just driving around like impatiently hoping for this person to die
1: well and it's like horrifying to think about it from larry's perspective because he was on tranquilizers but he was still Mm -hmm. he was conscious like he was alive and like knew what was happening he can't do anything he can't move it's just terrifying it's horrible yeah
0: They eventually found themselves back at the house that Larry shared with Laren, who only knew her as Elisa. When they got to the house, Larry said he wanted to sleep. The next morning, September 12th, Laren told police that Larry was dead. Laren said that she and Sarah then wrapped Larry's body in a sheet, put duct tape around it, and then placed his body inside a refrigerator in the garage while they tried to come up with a better plan. As we said earlier in the story, this better plan was to pretend that Larry was still alive and to continue to run his law firm and spend his money.
1: Laren continued giving her confession to police and said that months after the murder, she and Sarah put Larry's body in the trunk of her car and drove to a Vegas hotel. Sarah allegedly stayed at the hotel with Larry's body and Laren went out looking for a spot to bury him. But she ran into a problem when she realized that the ground was too hard to dig. So the women then drove Larry's body back to California and they decided to bury him in this vineyard. Laren snuck in at around four o'clock in the morning and dug a hole and placed Larry's body inside. Investigators asked her how deep she dug the hole and she responded, quote, Not deep enough, obviously. Finally, Laren told police that after the body was gone, she asked someone to come move the fridge away from the house. After hearing Laren's confession, the San Joaquin County Deputy District Attorney said, quote, this admission may be the only time she has told the truth in years. After Laren had confessed, she was able to visit with her family and see her son, Cole, who was now 16 and hadn't seen his mom in nine years. On March 31st, 2002, Laren took her own life in jail. She left a suicide note addressed to her attorney, Thomas Hogan. She put the note in an envelope, tore it into four pieces, put the pieces into a sandwich baggie and placed it in the corner of her cell. In the note, Laren described a hostile relationship with Larry and alleged that he first hit her on July 2nd, 1996. She said that she confided in a friend who also worked at the office at that time. And when Larry found out that she told the woman, he fired her. Laren wrote, quote, Tom, I think we both know it doesn't matter what kind of man Larry was. We murdered him. Of course, I should spend the rest of my life in prison. Sarah should, too. I wish I could change what happened, but I can't. Laren's note also alleged that Larry had threatened Haley and she believed that killing him saved her daughter from him. She also had some other interesting words in her note and she was kind of expressing an attraction and this admiration for her lawyer who she thought very highly of. Her lawyer later came out and said that he thought she was just distraught while she was writing this and like that those things didn't really you know, mean anything. Right. So finally, Laren ended her note by asking Tom, her lawyer, to sue the Hernando County jail for not preventing her suicide. And she wanted whatever money was paid out to go to her two children. She said that she hoped they could move into their futures without this heavy burden and felt that she did them a favor by not putting them through their mother being on trial.
0: After police heard Laren's side of the story, they arrested Sarah. Sarah, They believed they had enough evidence to charge her as an accessory to murder at the very least. Sarah denied that Laren ever told her anything about Larry being abusive or that she should murder him and told the police that Laren was evil and was trying to pull her down with her. Sarah said that it was Laren who gave Larry the tranquilizer and who wanted to bury him alive in Yosemite. Sarah said that she was terrified of Laren and believed she would end up dead if she went to the police. Sarah was eventually charged with first-degree murder. Her trial began on January 16th, 2003. Laren's confession, though, was not allowed into evidence in Sarah's trial. The prosecution presented their theory that Sarah was the true mastermind behind Larry's murder, and it was all motivated by the mutual dislike between them. Prosecutors alleged that it was somewhat of a love triangle situation where both Larry and Sarah wanted all of Laren or Elisa's attention. And Sarah was particularly loving the very fancy life that she was living on Larry's dime. It was believed that Larry had told Sarah that he was going to fire her two days before he was murdered and that that was really the true motive behind the killing. Larry's own children agreed that Sarah was a driving force behind their father's murder. They believe that if it wasn't for Sarah's influence, he would actually still be alive and that Laren really did love their dad before Sarah had come into the picture. Prosecution said that Sarah participated in this with her eyes wide open and that she was more than willing to help and also became closer with Laren after the murder. Sarah's defense was that Elisa was bored with Larry, so she decided to kill him and then she manipulated Sarah into helping her cover it up. She claimed she was terrified of Laren and what she was capable of. But Haley actually testified that Sarah never once seemed scared of her mom. Ginger Miller, who was the woman that Laren hired after Larry's murder, testified that at the time that Larry was missing, Sarah and Laren laughed, shopped, ate, and even slept in the same bed together. They spent all of Larry's money and Sarah pretty much moved into his house with Laren. They even cleared out Larry's side of the closet in the bathroom so that Sarah could put her stuff in there. After four days of deliberation, the jury found Sarah guilty of voluntary manslaughter and accessory to murder. On April 21st, 2003, she was sentenced to 11 years in prison. She went to Central Women's Facility in Chalchilla, California, where she stayed until she was released on August 26, 2011, at 31 years old.
1: So, update time, because this is a brand new update that is from April of this year, 2022. So, this is just a couple months old. Um, so 2020 actually released an episode that featured an interview with Laren's daughter Haley, who, ha- of course, has never spoken to the media before this. Um, she chose not to because she really just wanted to forget her past, as we said. And I, and I we say this a lot in these cases where it's like when there's kids that are involved and like they either go live with a family member or they you know they grow up with a totally different life than what they you know could yeah. have had if they if if these terrible things didn't happen. Um, so I can understand not wanting to like be out in the public, but she did speak on 2020, um, this year. So she went on to say that she spent the majority of her life on the run with her mom. And she described pretty much her whole life as being very erratic and constantly being on the move. They would only spend maybe six months or two a year at the most in one place at a time, which is really hard for a kid. I didn't like, um, I didn't move around like a lot as much as some people but my dad was an air traffic controller and like we moved to lots of states and I at one point I did like a I calculated how many different schools I went to I think I went to like five elementary schools three different middle schools and four different high schools and <laughs> so I'm well, like that's like no every year yeah you should, that's yeah, a lot you should ever go to that many schools um, so Haley said quote when I think about my mom from that time for her it was about fun until it was not until it was about waking up in the middle of the night and saying hey we have to leave because rent.'" hadn't been paid or because she was being evicted. Haley said that Larry's struggles with addiction made her feel constantly unsafe around him. And she also said that she witnessed Larry physically abuse her mom. Mm -hmm. Haley said that Laren left Larry at one point, but went back because he had threatened to turn her in for the outstanding warrants that she had. Haley also said that she did try to leave a couple of times. Um, Her mom tried to leave a couple of times, but he tracked them down and said that, you know, if they didn't agree to come home with him, he would kill both of them and then himself. Yeah. Yeah. Things actually got so bad that Laren sent Haley away um, to Maine to train horses. And Haley said at this point that Larry was just going off the rails. Those were her words. She said that he was losing control of himself. And she said, quote, I knew it got really bad when my mom looked at me and said, oh, I got you a job training horses in Maine. Um, And so she packed up all her stuff and left at that point. When Larry's body was found, Haley said that she and her mom were actually in Arizona, and they had to move again when his body was found. And um, at that point, she hadn't really known what her mom had done, and she was just so used to moving that she didn't even question it. You know, this time, what was different about it than any other time they had done it? So they ended up driving all over the country. They spent time in multiple towns, and Haley said they picked where they were going to stay based on how much tourism there was there, because... When there's a lot of tourism, it's easier to just blend in. People are expecting there to be outsiders, you know, coming and going. So um, they also would use cash for everything. At this point, Haley said she still didn't really know what was happening back in California. um, But leaving Arizona just reinforced to her that, you know, this was her way of life. And this is what she was going to have to do, you know, to continue to protect, you know, her mom from whatever Mm. it was that they were running from. So Haley and Laren ended up settling in Destin, Florida, and they ended up changing their names. But Laren started to panic that the authorities were going to find her there. So she picked up Haley and said they're moving to Charleston, South Carolina. So
0: Haley hears this from her mom, and she says, no, I'm not moving again. I'm so tired of this. You know, I'm finally in the school I like or whatever, and I'm not leaving. And she said she felt really kind of resigned to this life, that she was a non-person. She said, I exist, but not really me. And that's when Laren tells Haley what actually happened to Larry. And Haley said, quote, and it kind of felt like everything was just white noise. I couldn't think. I didn't see anything around me. I was horrified, end quote. After this conversation, Laren drops Haley off at home and she drives off. Well, Haley is worried after her mom's confessed to this that she's going to hurt herself. And so she calls police and actually gives him a description of her mom's car. And that's how authorities were actually able to find Laren and track her down to the beach. She doesn't put up any resistance and she admits to the killing. Haley said, quote, I was both incredibly relieved that she was okay and horrified that I had contributed to her worst nightmare happening. End quote. Because their whole lives, you know, she's been on the run, really. Haley said she was devastated over her mother's death, and she told 2020 that her mom was a victim of domestic violence, and she's learned from the situation. She said she now knows that, quote, you never have to stay in a situation that you don't feel safe, a situation that you question. You have a right to feel safe, and you have a right to whatever future you're willing to make, end quote. And I have to say, I believe everything she's saying in this um, for multiple reasons, but... Part of it is she has no. There's no reason for her to lie about any of this. Her mom's not alive anymore. She's not protecting her. This right. is you know, this is such a complicated story. And I feel like without her side of the story, it it seems more complicated. Do you know what I mean? Like we right. we just don't we don't know uh, Laren's side really, really right. because we um, don't. Her life had ended uh, so shortly, but um, but this I don't know. This is like a whole different side of the story. I, I yeah, it's just
1: sad. Yeah, yeah, it is really sad. Okay, so that was our story for this week. Before we get out of here for the week, Melissa, let's turn the page and do last thing before we go.
0: So if you're new to last thing before we go, this is just something we do at the end of the episode, kind of a way to leave on a slightly lighter note and uh, just something to go on to your next show. Is that a way to say it? I don't know if that makes any sense. But it's not, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't have anything to do with the episode. So we're, it's just, it's like it's just you're listening nonsense. to a mini version yes. of another show, right? Yes. Okay, Mandy. So the year's almost over. 2022. Where'd Hard you go? To
1: believe. Hard to believe.
0: Where'd you go? So I think we're just kind of going to list some of our favorite things from the year. Does that Yay. sound
1: fun to you? I have a few favorite things. Okay,
0: great. Do you want to start it off? What What's the first category for you?
1: Okay. So you gave me a few categories, like favorite food items, favorite shows that were on TV, movies and all that. So let's go favorite show. Obviously right. for me, it's Love is Blind. We all know that. That's like, and the reason it's my favorite is because it's literally the only one I feel like that I watched all year. I did watch White Lotus or I am currently watching White Lotus and I the love that show season? Too, So yes. Yeah. It's good. Yes. Uh, But those really were the only two shows I even watched. Those were my 2022 shows. Truly (laughs) mind-blowing. That is truly mind-blowing. I had to like look at things to be like, what could I
0: do? And I came up with three because I could not even get it down. Love is Blind, didn't even make it. White Lotus, White what? I don't know. I didn't see that. Like (laughs) that is not even on my list. My favorite shows this year were Severance, which is so good. It's on Apple TV. Have you seen that? Apple Plus, what's it called? I don't know. Um, I've seen that it's
1: a thing, but I don't have it.
0: It is a th- I didn't either, but I got the seven-day trial just for that. Forgot to end it, and then I ended up watching something else, and then I was like, all right, I got to stop. So, so good. Drama. It's a little, like, not supernatural. It's a little techie. What's the word that's, like, it can't actually happen? Please, God, don't let this actually happen. Um, but it's fun. It's different for me. Better Call Saul, Mandy. I tried to get you to watch this because you liked it. Breaking Bad. I
1: know. My husband gets on to me all the time about not watching Better Call Saul. He likes it. He watches it whenever I'm like sleeping because he always stays up after me. But um, yeah, he's so also said good. that I should watch it. I just
0: it was the perfect the <laughs> finale. Like the way to end that whole world. The Breaking Bad world could not have picked a better way to end it. My favorite comedy this year, Barry. I didn't know that that was like it was as good as it was. I had tried to watch it before. Absolutely perfect. Um, Bill Hader's in it. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Henry I Winkler. Don't. HBO, I don't know if I would recommend it to you um, because I feel like you would not respond to me in the way I would need you to respond to me. (laughs) So I'm not going to recommend it to you, but other people that like good TV and watch more than two shows in a year, please watch Barry and get back with me. (laughs) Mandy, what do you got next?
1: Okay, so next, favorite food items of this year or snacks. Did you discover anything new or did you have anything I don't know, I feel like I go through these phases, right? Where like one year I will be really into eating like a certain thing and then, you know, it kind of just changes with the time. So what for you, what was it this year?
0: This is gonna sound lame, but it's actually so good and it fills me up. At Aldi, there is this protein bread, which sounds gross. I didn't even wanna do it. I bought it on accident, but it has like seeds and stuff in it and it's high in protein, so it fills you up. So I toast it and put one of those like cheese wedge things, you know, like that laughing cow, but like the Mm. Aldi version of that. And then boysenberry jelly on it. It's so good. It's like a perfect, it's an easy way to eat something and like start your day off with actual food and like not be miserable. And so I can eat it for a snack. It's so good. Um, I love it. So yeah, that's my, that's my go-to. What about you?
1: Wow. I love that. So mine is not like an, a meal. It's more of an item that goes okay. along with food that I have just been like obsessed with this year. And I'm sure that you've seen it at the store because I'm pretty sure this just came out this year or maybe it was like, I don't know, For some, somehow it's popular this year. But have you seen – so you know um, I'm really into like hot sauces, right? Because yes. I basically eat the same boring – Right. You got to have something all the going time, on, right? It. Like I eat just a lot of chicken and rice and everything. So I have to try yeah. and figure out how to jazz it up. Sometimes I make it like uh, more of like an Asian style and I'll do, you know, kind of like a chicken fried rice, except obviously we all know it's not as delicious, but I'll try to flavor it in different ways. But a lot of thing I do, um, I do a lot of hot sauces. So I found this new hot sauce, the Truff brand. Have you seen them? I haven't. Kind of the, like even the packaging is very like sleek and it even looks very like elegant and like high class for hot sauce. Okay. And turns out it must be, I don't know what the deal is, but like, I'm talking about Girl, a I just Googled bottle it. of hot sauce. Yes. That is And they sell cheap. them at Publix. I know. Well, they sell them at Publix. And so finally one day I was like, well, I really want to try it. I love hot sauce. I know it's expensive. I want to try it. Well, now I'm hooked on this hot sauce and I understand, I totally understand the hype behind it. Um, but they have like different heat levels. They have like a medium, a super hot one. And then they have one that's like a mild, but now I've seen that they have other things I've seen. Seen that brand has um, pasta sauce that i'm dying to try Ooh. and i guess the secret behind it is that they put truffles truffle sauce. in everything oh but yeah like, then i got to thinking like what even are truffles i don't even know what truffles are <laughs> so listen
0: i know like, pigs are involved there's like truffle hunting pigs i learned that on a conan o'brien show i don't CCD even know what, what it me. is
1: But truff hot sauce is my number one food item of 2022. I cannot live without it. Like every single day for the last couple of months, I have just been eating for lunch. I've been eating um, just my – I'll cook my jasmine rice and make my chicken and then I'll do shredded lettuce and just put this hot sauce on it, the trough sauce, and mix it all up. It's ridiculous and it's so basic, but hot sauce –
0: Truff that is some brand. bougie sauce that is my I'm, favorite
1: food item of the year <laughs> that,
0: I like it that is very interesting and uh good for you um I I'm interested in trying it I only like hot sauce mixed with ranch like not mixed but like I want a wing I want a wing oh, for sure <laughs> that's hot and then putting it in ranch so I don't I'm not like a big hot sauce person but that sounds good
1: yeah all right so Melissa let's move on to how about movie did you have a favorite movie of the year so I watched zero
0: movies this year except <gasps> Mean Girls with my daughter. I'm not a movie person. Really? Yeah, it's like how you are with TV. I'm yeah. I'm like that with movies. Not a fan. Well, I'm
1: actually like that with movies and television. So um gosh. I but I did have a movie. And if you um really want something sweet to watch with um your daughter, she probably would like this a lot too. My kids liked it. Um but it's on Netflix and it has Ryan Reynolds. You'll love it. It's called the Adam Project. Oh, yeah. And um I don't think that it came out this year. Maybe it wasn't new this year, but I watched it this year. I feel like it was on Netflix or it came on Netflix this year. Oh, it was it did come out in twenty twenty two. I just looked. Okay. Um so yeah, so if you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. It has Ryan Reynolds, which I feel like you cannot go wrong he is just so hilarious and i love him it also has mark um, ruffalo which it has jennifer um, garner in it i know that yeah yeah um so but yeah the plot is that after accidentally crash landing in 2022 time traveling fighter pilot adam reed teams up with his 12 year old self for a mission to save the future and so they kind of do these jumping back and forth between timelines and then It has a really good twist at the end, super, super good, super cute movie. But I also wanted to give an honorable mention to another movie I watched recently. Um, It's on Netflix, and you might like this one too, Slumberland.
0: Oh, I haven't even heard of that one.
1: That one's really good, and it was a real tearjerker. I did not think that it was going to make me emotional, but it was so good and so heartwarming and just like, oh, it was just one of those really make you feel good. And those are two really good family movies. So um, The Adam Project and Slumberland, if you guys are looking for something to watch with your families uh, this holiday season, those are two really good ones if you haven't seen those yet. Oh, very cool. Mandy, do do you have a favorite song this year? So favorite song, yeah, I got my Spotify wrapped like everybody else did this week. And I had, of course, all of my music habits and listening habits analyzed uh, and wrapped up into a nice little, I love how they create that thing. Did you watch yours, Melissa? Oh, yeah. Mine said you didn't
0: listen to enough on Spotify. I never use Spotify. I, oh. I'm i lame. I use um, yeah. other See, stuff. See, I bounce so, yeah. back
1: and forth. And like Spotify said that I listen to more uh, than like 85% of people or whatever on Spotify. But I really think my listening is like actually more than that because I bounce between Spotify and Pandora. So I feel like if it, if they right. would have got my Pandora minutes calculated in there, I would have been listening to a lot more, uh, yeah, yeah. M- more than they thought. But anyway, so yeah, so I got my top five list. Um, honestly, it was mostly an embarrassment. My top two, though, weren't terrible. My number two spot was The Weeknd, which I think, you know, I okay. always have listened to The Weeknd. So that's not really like right. a big, big shock. Not there. shocking. But my number one um, this year was Queen Herbie. And I don't know if you even know who that is. I'm guessing you probably don't. Um, How rude. She's, like, I love very, Queen Herbie no you don't (laughs) (laughs) never it would be really funny if you did but i know that you don't no Mm -mm. it's very positive and like very um like empowering i guess for like (laughs) it's like um it's a queen with a v qv yes Yes, okay it is and her music is very different and uh i just love her she's very uh, unique and very like She's younger than me. I'm out. I love her. She is pretty young, but she's awesome. And she is an awesome content creator as well, which I didn't know that about her until I started following her on Instagram. And I realized that she actually makes like a lot of really cool content too, like uh, reels and stuff like that. Um, So I like her, but yeah, she definitely has music that is not like safe for the little ears. So don't, check that one out while you're like driving to um, the kids to school or anything. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that wasn't those were my my top two. I don't even want to list my last ones because that's fine. I think top it's two just good. too much. Yes. I'm worried for you. <laughs> so how that. about how about you, Melissa? Well,
0: TikTok thinks my favorite song is I Made You Look by Megan Trainer. And oh. <laughs> I don't know that it is, but like I don't have another answer because I hear it all the freaking time. So I'm going to go with that just by oh, default. Yeah, I wow. don't really listen to the radio. I listen to like I listen to old music like my husband always makes fun of me for that he's like you don't know any songs that came out
1: this year and I really don't I listen to a lot of old music too I've come to realize and I just like I don't even care you know I'm just like those are the songs I like my
0: family gets so concerned when I start a l e x a and uh I start like 90s country or you know you can totally see my mood I'm like Celine Dion (laughs) whatever (laughs) 70s rock they're like please like Take a
1: pill, do something like calm right. Down. Oh my goodness! All right. So, Melissa, is there anything else about twenty twenty two that you would like to share with us today? Absolutely. Do you have not. any more favorite things? Or it was is that- a year. It's been a great year. It's been it a wonderful been. year. We've had. I mean, we still
0: have one more. Okay, so let's add that. We have one more episode of the year, and then we'll be re-releasing a couple for the rest of the year, and then we'll be back in early January. So, same two with weeks a new off, name. Take- remember, yeah.
1: yes, we will be back in the new year with our new uh name moms, and, moms mysteries. and mysteries it's so exciting i'm very excited to start the new year new name new it's new not really year, new, year, new name. name who dis yeah yeah it's not really though because it's still it's still us but it'll be fun it'll be it's exciting the same it yeah will be exciting yes
0: before we go, one quick thing. Thank you big time to Susan's family, Missy and her friend Megan. We're so kind to talk to us and Haley and give us more information. And we just feel like we, because of that, we really got to know more of who Susan was. And so thank you so much to them for wanting to share their story
1: with us and allowing us to share it with you guys. All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week. We will be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week.